This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter offer code ARSCAST at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ozil. Marca Mesut Ozil. Bellerín, qué golazo. Magnífico. Gol. Qué golazo de Bellerín, gol del Arsenal. Gran gol de Bellerín, 1-0. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. Hello there. Hello. Just to remind people that today's show is brought to you in association with Squarespace, and we'll give you some more details of that a little bit later on. James, you're in Edinburgh. Still, still up in Edinburgh. Yeah, and uh, you're not, we want to make this clear, you're not doing an Arsenal FC show. No. As fun as that would be, I do think we should make that clear. Lots, I am of, in a lots co- of comedic potential. <laughs> yeah, certainly. Uh, especially after the opening weekend. But no, it is a comedy show, but distinct from Arsenal. I'd hate for anyone to turn up and be subsequently confused. And believe me, they would be confused regardless of what they were expecting. Yeah. It's a bit of a strange show. Confusing but, enough already. Absolutely, yeah. But here I am, having a great time. I've lost my voice. Um I've mislaid it. If anyone finds it, do return it to mm, me. I've lost Ten. my sense of a useful idealism, but hey. You know, time passes, things change. But yeah. nevertheless, great city. Loving it. Yeah, it's a good place, all right? It's mm. a good place. We had um, a very nice uh, Mexican food because Mrs. Bloggs and the Mug Smasher did the Edinburgh Marathon there uh, right. back in May. And uh, we went to this uh, Mexican restaurant on Cockburn Street. I know it's pronounced Coburn, but Cockburn is much better. Cockburn is much funnier. Yeah, I always chuckle every time I pass it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's right ne- there next to Flange Avenue. But um, we went to a Mexican place, and they provided us uh, with Mexican vitamins. Mexican vitamins in order for the marathon runners to, to regain some power, the salts that they had lost. Ah. Mexican vitamins are known um, throughout the world as pictures of margaritas. Interesting. Yeah, well, there so, you go. so if you're feeling a little bit ill, you know, you could do with some some vitamins and some Mexican vitamins are, are very, very nice. Oh, well, I will, I will go there. I'll check it out. Yeah, it's on the right-hand yes. side as you go down Cockburn Street. For the first time in my life, I will actively seek Cockburn. <laughs> Most of the time, it just it's, it's a byproduct it's a, it's of something a, else. <laughs> it's acquired by accident, yeah, uh, or overuse, of course. Uh, but we won't go. <laughs> uh, so um, uh, this, this it feels better this week because well, we, we won. Mm. Mm. We did, we did win, and I think you know that's generally preferable, is it not? It certainly is preferable to lots of things like losing, like drawing, uh, like Cockburn. being like Cockburn. Exactly, those are the three things that it's most certainly better than. And uh, sort of an improved performance, and interestingly, a shift back to to what uh, we did last season in terms of the formation: Aaron Ramsey on the right, Alexis on the left, and Cazorla back into the midfield. Yeah, bit of a case of it. It wasn't broke, but we fixed it, and in fixing it, we broke it. So we've had to fix it again, back to what it was before. Yeah, yeah. That's the saying goes. <laughs> that is the saying. Um, mm. So, yeah, I mean, how did you feel it worked? I think that Cazorla's just so good at distributing the ball from that deep line position. And although this was a game in which Meza Erzul took a lot of plaudits, and justifiably so, mm. you, you almost wonder if he gets into the game more when there's someone like Cazorla operating just behind him who can find him that much earlier. Mm. Um, I think it works to his benefit too. So I thought it was... The right call. Yeah, it was some interesting stuff from Arsene Wenger when he talked about uh, moving Cazorla back in there. Uh, He said um, he can pass from deep midfield to high midfield better than everybody and get out of pressure. That's why Mm. I positioned him more central. And he said, this is quite interesting, he is not anymore a player on the flanks who can overlap and cross the ball. So, I mean, that That seems to suggest that that uh, any use of him in wide positions would only be in an emergency or, or when we don't really have any other choice. And do you think, is that a comment on Cazorla's uh, athleticism now? Like, do you think it, he feels that he can't compete with the fullbacks in a, in a sprint? He, he's more comfortable in the middle. Or do you think it's just that he sees him 
as better in that role? I, I think it could be that he sees him as better in that more uh, deep-lying midfield role, but also that he has better options now for those wide positions mm. that he didn't necessarily have when Cazorla first arrived. Mm. Um, you know, he played a lot from the left, didn't he, in his in his first season? Um, or sometimes behind the striker Uh, and I think maybe he wanted to see could he do it again this season but he's he's made the decision that he's going to be a central midfield player which now raises the big questions about who else is going to play in the midfield because well Coquelin was in there um in a game away from home, I think I think you need Coquelin. So we have Ramsey on the right-hand side. Um, there were a lot of questions, and uh, I guess we could have approached this during the question period, but we, we might as well do it now. So Ramsey ahead of Oxlade-Chamberlain on the right-hand side. What, what do you feel the manager's rationale for that was? It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because Oxlade-Chamberlain, I know he made an error uh, against... Who was at West Ham the week before, but he was actually one of our most threatening players, I thought, on that occasion. I suppose the return of Alexis perhaps made Arsen think, well, I've got somebody on one side who's got that kind of penetrative dribbling. I don't necessarily need to have both Alexis and Oxlade Chamberlain in tandem. And I think that Aaron Ramsey is someone who he's just desperate to squeeze into the team, however he does that. Um, and at the moment, he's a bit of a square peg in a round hole on that, on that right wing. Mm. But you know, it, it worked relatively well towards the back end of last season. I think the the main issue with it is probably the player. You know, will the player be happy out there? Yeah. Um, because he's been out there in the past and, and not enjoyed it. But I think I think the way we played against Palace was kind of fluid enough that, you know, Ramsey by no means stuck to that right wing, did he? Nor did Alexis to the left. They were traversing and crossing and Ozil ended up in the wide positions too. So I think if you play in that very fluid way... Uh, it can be effective, but I, I thought Oxley Chamberlain probably could feel a little bit, a bit unlucky to have missed out. Mm. I, I, you know, I, I think Ramsey could have been better with the ball yesterday. I think he was probably mm-hmm. a, a little careless with the ball at times, but you could see why the manager had him in the team because you think, uh, think of the number of times that he got in behind and into yeah. the penalty area and in dangerous positions. There was a great flick from Giroud earlier on, uh, really early in the game, that sent him almost clean through. Uh, he maybe just overcooked it and dragged it back for Giroud to have a shot. There was the one that he fired over from, from Esed Ozil when, when uh, that was in the second half, I think. He would be, I think, unhappy that he didn't score oh, yeah, in that one. Yeah, and there yeah. was one, Coquelin picked him out at the back post with this kind of fizzing low pass, if you remember, um, and he put it back across. There was there was one at the near post where he uh, he flicked it and the keeper had to make a save. So I think there's something there in in the way that he can penetrate the box, if you like, um, yeah. providing the opposition with some cockburn. Um, but but maybe the end product wasn't quite there yet, and it's early in the season and what have you. But you could see the you could see the impact that he has. Um, we, we, yeah, we know his goals tend to come in bursts, so it wouldn't surprise you would it, if he if he got one and then set off on a little run. Mm. Um, I, we've said in the past, I think, that he's a, he reminds me a little bit of Freddie Jumberg in terms of his his ability to make runs in that final third. And I do think that playing from that right-hand side, it's actually quite difficult for defenders to pick him up between the full-back and the centre-half. You know, with someone like Mesut Ozil tucked inside him, looking for him, I think he could he could do really well there. I don't think it's his best position, but I don't think it's a bad thing for the team. And, and also if you want to put him in direct comparison with Oxlade-Chamberlain, if you're putting one of those guys through on goal, at the moment, Ramsey is the more accomplished finisher and, and the more regular goal scorer. Oxlade-Chamberlain has the potential to do it, but mm. Ramsey's someone who's been, who's been there and done it before. You know? and, and better defensively, I think, at this moment in time. Definitely. I think there are questions to be asked, uh, and I'm a big, big fan of Oxlade-Chamberlain. I think he's, you know, he's got it all ahead of him, but... Uh, it just doesn't quite seem to be switched on at times in the in the defensive third. Uh, so maybe that was part of the manager's uh, uh, decision-making there. Fantastic goal from mm. Olivier Giroud. Brilliant goal. Absolutely amazing goal, I really thought. Like, obviously, it's a, a very instantaneous pass from Ozil, but, and it's a good pass, but it's at a very difficult height. I mean, most strikers would attempt to bring that down or lay it off, but to attempt the volley and execute it that well... Really superb. One of those moments where you go, this guy, you know, he, he uh, <clears throat> sorry, he takes a lot of stick, but he's got tremendous, tremendous technical ability at times. Mm. He does seem to score some incredibly amazing goals. He is one of those guys who, if you put a YouTube uh, compilation together, 
you'd be looking at, wow, this guy can score some fucking amazing goals because he really does have a, a collection of outstanding strikes to his name, but mm. it's the it seems to be the more bread and butter ones that, that frustrate people when he misses those. But, you know, if we'd gone out and bought a striker who'd done what Giroud had done yesterday in terms of getting a goal like that, people would be over the moon. So, Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Gauging the fact that most people judge new signings on their YouTube compilations these days, the signing of <laughs> the signing of Olivier Giroud today would be met with enormous excitement. Yeah, so here we go, video guys. Any of you video makers out there, give us the top ten Olivier Giroud yeah. Arsenal goals, where you know the overhead kick there and the 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 blaster from uh, distance against Manchester United and all those ones. He does score some spectacular ones, but maybe yeah. call it. Welcome to Arsenal, Olivier Giroud. <laughs> Hashtag like a new signing. Um, Mesut Ozil, fantastic. Brilliant performance. Yeah. Five chances created. Uh, amazing statistic that his one misplaced pass was in the final third. Um, but 37 of 38 passes made in the Crystal Palace final third found their man. And I think as I said in the blog today... If we're looking for more goals from this team and from the players that are in this team, we're not mm. necessarily lacking in creativity. What we're lacking is a ruthlessness in the finishing, mm. which maybe comes mm. back to that whole Giroud point. And, you know, not every chance that Mesut Ozil's created has been for Olivier Giroud, of course. No. And yesterday it was uh, Alexis who was perhaps more the guilty party in terms of missing chances. Mm. It's a, an interesting point, isn't it? You know, we're talking about getting 10 more goals and inevitably, I mean, I'm guilty of this myself, people point at Ozil and say, well, he could contribute there, he could certainly improve. And I think that remains the case. But if people were more efficient in finishing some of the chances he creates, you'd easily cover off that that 10-goal margin, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think that's quite an interesting point about the game yesterday, is that really, it, it, ne- it wouldn't necessarily have been as tight as it was. I think had we been more effective in the first half, putting things away, the game could have been done and dusted do you think that's fair yeah I think that's absolutely fair I think there was a, a lack of of ruthlessness in, in our finishing um, Alexis as you say I think he missed a couple of great chances um, mm. there was the one where he was put through by by Ozil on the break um, and then there was a header Monreal cross and he mistimed his jump and headed over the bar and it was mm-hmm. for a guy who's good in the air he really is good in the air uh, it was it was a bit of a miss, and then I think it was like sixty seconds later they went up the other end and scored. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, so I mean that's just rustiness, though, presumably, you know, from Alexis. Yeah, yeah, you know, he's only back a couple of weeks, and uh, you know, still looks like he's not not necessarily off the pace, but certainly not as sharp or as match fit as um, he will be in a few weeks' time. Um, do, no, do, I mean, I'm, I'm still slightly surprised he's been reintroduced as quickly as he has. I didn't anticipate him starting games at this stage. Well, no, me neither. I thought they would, I thought they would um, bring him back for Liverpool. You know, yeah. when you looked at the two fixtures, West Ham and Crystal Palace, okay, London derbies, and there's always a bit of an extra edge to that. But uh, you, you have to see a Walcott sitting on the bench. You know, the, there were alternatives, but... Oxlade-Chamberlain as Oxlade well. Oxlade-Chamberlain on the bench yesterday as well. So there there were options for the manager. But I think you look at the goal that he... Or well, the goal that he brought about with his desire, with his will, with his gigantic leap. Mm-hmm. And who else would yeah. have done that? Yeah, I mean, the, the guy... He's a, he's a monster, isn't he? I mean, you know, the, the way that he sprinted at that ball and, and leapt after it was truly amazing. And a bit mm. of reminiscent of, who was it? He scored a goal very much like that last season where he just arrived in the box and climbed above someone about two feet taller. It could have um, been Burnley. Yeah, somebody like that. Somebody like that. But he, it was a game where, you know, I think we were struggling slightly and he just, you know, made that massive contribution. And I do think that uh, even when technically perhaps his game's not quite as sharp as it might be, he uh, still has that incredible physical stamina and that will that makes him such a threat yeah. perennially. Yeah, and he was taken off in the 74th minute, something like that. and uh, the Gutted, board, obviously. Yeah, the board <laughs> was up for a while. But I think even on his part, you could see that there was a grudging acceptance that, yeah, okay, 
this probably is the right decision given that I've been out and I haven't been training as much as as uh, people would like. And, you yeah. know, even he had to accept that, okay, yeah, well, all right. And we know what he's like about about coming off the pitch. So Well, yeah, I mean, and hopefully, I mean, obviously the idea of bringing him back to Liverpool, for Liverpool makes sense, but having that bit of match practice, you know, it'd be better to get those misses out of your system against Palace than it would against Liverpool. Very true. So what you're saying is he's going to bang in about four or five goals against Liverpool. I can't see why not. No. Right, right. <laughs> uh, Hector Bellerin back. Um, mm. uh, the timing in football is, is a difficult thing, isn't it? Um, Matthew Debushi must be kind of gutted because this kid is pretty much the first choice now. I can't think of another example of this happening where somebody was so clearly signed as a first team player and yet was sort of usurped by, you know, a, a young guy coming through from the academy. You do feel for Debussy a bit because he didn't do much wrong in those first few months, did he? No. He looked very solid, very reliable. But I do think Bellerin offers us so much more and obviously he played his part in the goal yesterday, but I thought we missed him actually against West Ham the previous week too and I think he's really established himself as that first choice right back. I think Debussy is going to have to bide his time and, and look for games predominantly in the Cups. I mean, mm. what do you think? Do you, or do you think there are games where Wenger will think, well, that defensive you know, canniness of that experience of Debussy is more valuable? There might be, yeah, because depending on the opposition or who might be playing uh, down the left-hand side for them, he might mm. feel that Debussy's experience could be the thing that, that sets them apart. But when you look at what Bellerin's got in terms of his paces, he's very, very rarely found wanting defensively. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. for a young player, that's really promising. There's a big learning curve for young defenders in particular because every ma- every mistake you make is exposed and it's highlighted and it's it's exacerbated simply because mistakes at the back tend to be more costly than anywhere else on the pitch. So for him to be, I won't say uh, flawless, but for him to be as advanced defensively as he is or appears to be in the time that we've seen him in the team really augurs well for for the future. So it's not as if you could say, well, against that kind of opposition, Bellerin, uh, he's sort of found wanting. You know, we do, I yeah. don't think we have that with him. No, I mean, what's always been clear about Bellerin is that he's a very quick learner. You know, that, was, that much was evident when he played against Dortmund last year, had a really tired time, but next time he was in the team, looked to play a transformed and, and significantly developed from then. Mm. And so... That trajectory has carried on throughout his time in the first team. He, he seems to improve very quickly, seems to learn from mistakes, uh, and he's got that incredible pace, which means when he is caught out, he has the speed to, to recover and get mm. back. Um, so I think he's in a very, very strong position right now. What about Lauren Koscielny for the goal? Not good, was it? Not no. good at all. Quite ugly to see that. I didn't. He just sort of, well, he sort of turned his back, didn't he, effectively, on the ball? Yeah. For the second week in a row, he didn't yeah. close down or attack a shooter. And I think that's that's an issue that needs to be sorted out because um, yesterday it was costly. It was costly against West Ham. And otherwise, I thought he was, he was really, really good, very aggressive in the air, won the ball well, mm. used the ball well. Um, but that moment, I don't know what it was. What what is that? You know, because your instinct as a defender is to get in the way of the ball. Of course, throw throw your body on the line. You know, make sure you put whatever you can in front of it to 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 block it. Risk cockburn. You know, whatever is mm. required. But uh, very distressing, especially two weeks in a row, because you'd have to have thought after what happened against West Ham, somebody be it Per Mertzaka, be it Pedit Czech, hopefully Arsene Wenger and the coaching staff would have spoken to Koscielny about that and and made. You know, what his mistake very, very clear. Yeah, but I mean, I don't think it should be just a, a thing about Koscielny. It should be something that all the defenders do when they're in that position. You mm. know, that, that this has to be the first thing that crosses your mind. I've got to get in the way of that ball. Mm. Not, I'm going to get out of the way, or how can I turn my back on it? Yeah. No, I mean, no, it's, uh, it's it, but it's, you know... Koscielny's very good at some of the more complicated things, you know. He's a brilliant slide tackler, he's got great touch, he can dribble out of defence, he distributes well. But am, but I, am should... I wrong in remembering him being much more willing to throw himself in front of the ball? Or was this always a problem? I don't know. I don't know, to be honest. I'd be lying if I said I 
I could distinctly remember. I said, well, let's just say it's not a problem I'd noticed previously. Yeah. Um, but what could possibly bring that about? I don't know. It's very strange. It's not even like he's Francis Cockland with his exploding nose. I would understand you <laughs> cowering from the ball if your face caves in every time someone has a shot near yeah. you. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where it's come from. But it is, it is a bit of a worry, and I think it will not be particularly appreciated by... By check and go. Uh, we'll come to check probably in the question side of things. Yeah. Um, Coquelin, was he lucky to stay on the pitch? I don't know, because looking at it, each incident that followed, I wasn't necessarily convinced they were they were worthy of the second yellow, you know? No. Um, I think the first yellow was, was fair enough, but and, and I think after then, I suppose you're always on a tightrope, but I didn't think it was quite as tight as maybe the crowd would have the referee believe, you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And I think there's, the the problem is just this panic that sets in nowadays. You know, players used to get booked all the time and they go and play for 90 minutes. Mm. There was not this immediate like, oh, he's got a yellow card, we have to take him off. Mm. And I think it it stems from the fact that nobody quite knows what a second yellow or what a yellow card might be. You can get booked for the most innocuous things these days, and I think that's what frightens people much more than uh, a lack of faith in the player's discipline or the ability to stay on the pitch. Because I thought Coquelin played really well yesterday. Mm. Yeah, he he so. passed it well. He tackled well. He won all of his tackles. Um, so I thought it was you know it was a bit unfortunate. But look, you know we've we've been there. We've had players on yellow cards, and the home fans will get up on the referee's back because you know you want that guy to be sent off. That's normal. But yeah. uh, I just it strikes me that there's a fear now whenever any player gets booked that the second yellow is almost inevitable. I don't ever remember feeling like that before. Get a yellow card, you get a yellow card. Okay, you can you can play the rest of the game. You just be a bit sensible. Don't do anything stupid and you can play the rest of the game. Nowadays, oh, it just seems seems a new thing. I don't know. Yeah, I know. It's Well, it almost sort of... <laughs> the point of the yellow card is not that it's very nearly ascending off, you know. It's it's that it's half that. It feels like it's about you know, 80% of ascending off at the moment because it gets people so anxious. I thought that... So given that, do you think it was the right decision to bring him off? Oh, yeah, yeah. In the circumstances, absolutely the right decision because he'd made one foul and then there was another foul... Uh, and the referee gave him a final warning and brought Mertesacker over. So it was, it was, you know, it was absolutely the right decision because even if he hadn't made a foul, you can be quite sure that some of, one of the Palace players would have could have created an opportunity to make it look like even there was a foul. And in that situation, I don't think the referee would have had any choice but to to send him off. I was a little surprised that he didn't he didn't bring on um, Arteta straight away, but. Uh, he, he pushed Ramsey back in there and brought Oxley Chamberlain on. But uh, mm. not an interesting little cameo from Arteta. Yeah, I thought so. I thought I think that's sort of what we can expect from him this season. Predominantly, if Cochrane's going to start the majority of games, that I think there will be times where he's probably brought on to play alongside uh, Cochrane if we're protecting a lead. And I thought his experience was in evidence, just as it was in the Community Shield against Chelsea, where mm. he was very niggly, slowed the game down. Um, and I think that will be useful at times during the course of the campaign. Yeah, I agree. All right, before we move on to part two and the questions and all that, uh, Chelsea? <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, that uh, that was enjoyable. I mean, I've only seen the highlights, but from what I hear, the, the whole game was quite a, a dominant victory for, for Manchester City. Is that fair? Yeah, for the most part. I thought City played much better than, than Chelsea did. Aguero was sensational. Yeah. And the whole taking John Terry off at halftime. Well, that's, I mean... That's incredible. Yeah. Extraordinary. Uh, Hilarious. I mean, it does seem mad that uh, after our start to the season where we lost our opening game at home to West Ham and and the way everything felt then, that we're now above Chelsea with with more points in the bag. Uh, Bit of a a turnaround, but there you go. Yeah, yeah. Fun times. Always good to see them struggling. Mm, Well, yeah, certainly that. All right. Okay, we're going to take a short break. We're back with your questions in part two right after this.
A reminder that today's show is brought to you in association with Squarespace, which is the perfect place to start if you want a website. So if you want to set up your own Arsenal blog, for example, Squarespace can do that for you. If you design things, if you make things and you want to sell them, use Squarespace because every single Squarespace site comes with an online store built in. It really is the easiest way to get your website up there. You don't need to be a web designer. You don't need to know code. Squarespace can help you with all that kind of stuff. And if you do get stuck, they offer 24-7 support by email and live chat. Squarespace has state-of-the-art technology powering your site. It's trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world. And it starts at only $8 a month. That's $8 a month. And don't forget that if you do sign up for a year, you get a free domain name. It just could not be any easier or any better value for money. So you can start a free trial today with absolutely no credit card required. All you do is go to squarespace.com. And when you do decide to sign up for Squarespace, please use the offer code ARSCAST. When you use the offer code ARSCAST, you not only get 10% off your first purchase, but you also help support this podcast. And that's uh, very, very much appreciated indeed. You know what to do. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. Okay, welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is the section of the show where we take your questions sent to us on Twitter at Gunnarblog and at Arsblog with the hashtag Arscast Extra. Do you want to go first or will I go first? I'll go first, shall I? Okay. Very assumptive of me there, just, you know, jumping. I know, it's decisive. Uh, Taking control. Why not? Um, So this question is from Leo and he's at Dodo Laval. It's quite a big question, I think. He says... Is our formation suited to the personnel we have? Shit, that's a good question. Um, yeah, because we sort of take it as a given, don't we, that we play in the shape that we play or a very close variant of it. Yeah. Um, and yet things have to happen, like Aaron Ramsey playing wide on the right. Is there? Is it? Is it the right system? Is there an alternative that we're not using? I'm not quite sure what to say (laughs) honestly I'm just trying to think about this in the sense that you look at the right hand side and it could have been Oxlade Chamberlain it could have been Mm. Theo Walcott and instead it's Aaron Ramsey and I think in an ideal in an ideal world the manager would prefer to play Ramsey in the centre of midfield Mm -hmm. I wonder has the emergence of Coquelin in that DM position, kind of by accident, has that complicated things in a way? You know, because everyone was crying out for a DM, for somebody to do what what he did. But if you were to look at it, I don't fucking know. I genuinely don't know. Do you think if Cochrane had never appeared on the scene, how do you think Arsene would be... Well, lining he, up yeah well I mean he would have played one of Arteta or Flamini wouldn't he so it's not yeah. maybe it's not even that I, I do think as well that Hector Bellerin's emergence probably is an influence you know I feel like if if you've got Hector Bellerin at right back there's less of a necessity to have a Theo Walcott or an Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain at right wing because you've already got a player there who's willing to get to the byline you know so if you have someone like Ramsey who's going to tuck in field more that's less of an issue yeah um no, the only in terms of formation system, like I, I think we use a great one. The only one that I have always think would be interesting to see would be some sort of variant of a, a diamond midfield where you sort of forego wide players, you let your width come from your attacking fullbacks, and then you would have Cockland at your base, you know Ramsey and Cazorla in front of that, and then Özil at the, the 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 tip of the diamond with two up front because you then mm. maybe you get round the issue of well. You know, Olivier Giroud's half a good striker and Theo Walcott's half a good striker and you, or sorry, Alexis Sanchez more likely, but you you pair them together yeah. uh, in a two. That would be something I'd be interested to see, but I think but, Arsenal's but, pretty yeah. wedded. Don't, don't we have this issue every time the, a bad result goes our, uh, against us and we'll say, we've got no width? How can we, you yeah. know, how can we, so... Maybe, maybe. I just wonder if because of someone like Bellerin you get away with it. But I, I don't know. I mean, the formation that we have, I think, does suit us because it enables someone like Cazorla to flourish in the centre. You know, I think he needs the protection of someone like Coquelin. I think it frees Ozil up to play in that number 10 role. Mm. Um, 
I think it gives the full-backs licence to go forward knowing that someone like Cochrane can cover them. So I think we probably are in the right system. I do think that players just have to accept a role within that. And, you know, we talk about Ramsey playing on the right-hand side and is that an issue for him? But Alexis, I would say, is not a pure winger. You know, I'd say he'd probably rather play behind the forward as a 10 than, than out on the left, but it's mm-hmm. not something we ever worry about, you know? I think so, I mean, do you think to... he picks the, the, the players that he... Feels suit the system best based yeah. on all the positions, like you say, with Bellerin at right back, then you can play a Ramsey. But if you've got a Debushi at right back, would you then be more inclined to play an Oxley Chamberlain or Walcott on the right hand side? Yeah, I think I think Arsen often just wants to get his best players into his team. So I think it sounds simplistic, but yeah. the reason he wants Aaron Ramsey is because he considers him among his best 11 and he's so keen on coaching adaptability and versatility among his players that he probably feels he can afford to juggle them in a fluid system mm. but um, yeah I don't know interesting question like we, we take it as a given that we're going to play in that kind of shape but would there be another one maybe that would suit the players better I yeah. don't know um, I don't think we're going to see it me neither no. so um, yeah we, we have what we hold I guess okay here's one from Mark Tynan at Mark Tynan 1 and he says as Arsenal's defensive frailties continue, is it time that Gabriel got a run at centre half? Mm, that's an interesting question. Well, who would you who would you take out? That becomes the question there because yeah. I think the reason Gabriel doesn't get games is simply because Mertzak and Koscielny are an established partnership, right? Yeah, like they complement each other really well. They dovetail brilliantly, and Gabriel does not yet have that understanding with either player. And I think that understanding is kind of more valuable than any individual attributes uh, that you can bring. I think, obviously, he could get that over time, but... But how will he get it without playing? Well, exactly, yeah. Uh, and that's the, the difficulty for him. I mean, every everything we've seen of him, he looks like a really good player, right? Mm. It's weird, we haven't seen very much of him, though. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, how do you break an established partnership like that? But I suppose when you look at a team that's conceded three goals in the, the opening two games. Maybe there are things there. And we, we, we touched on Koscielny's uh, failure to close down the shooters uh, yesterday against Crystal Palace and to a, a lesser extent against West Ham. Mm. But does do, do those kind of uh, things... A manager will probably look at that and say, well, that's an easy thing for me to, to fix because I take Koscielny aside and I have a word and say, next time you close down the ball uh, and you throw yourself in front of it bollocks first if you have to, but you don't turn your back in it or you don't stand there holding your knackers, you mm. know? So that's a relatively easy thing to fix if that's yeah. the problem. That is relatively easy, yeah. Mm. And that's something that, uh, yeah, that doesn't overcome the fact that, you know, at the end of the day, it is a functional partnership and, and Arsenal's not going to break that up. I think for Gabriel... He just has to bide his time. I know it's difficult, but at some point, you know, touch wood, not too soon or, or not too frequently, but at some point that partnership will be disrupted, be it because one of those players needs a rest or injury or suspension. And his task then is simply to step in and then try and retain his place, you know. And I think that it is quite a meritocratic team we have at the moment. Mm. You know, when players impress, they do genuinely, generally seem to retain their spot. So. I think that will be his challenge, but the tricky thing is he may have to wait quite some time in order to get that. Mm. Mm. Um, but you know, it's it's a it's a, he sacrificed the first team place of Villarreal to come to a big club like Arsenal, probably full in the knowledge that he'd face this kind of battle. Yeah, um, and you know, we talk about someone like Machida Debushi, another you know another international class player who, who's missing out at the moment. I think Gabriel just has to has to wait for his chance and then. Do everything he can to take it. Yeah, I don't see him making any changes anytime soon. Certainly not. No. Uh, but I think he, I think there'll be enough football for him to play this season, Gabriel. It's interesting that he he can probably play with both of them. There's no suggestion that it's a one or the other situation with him. Yeah, definitely. You know, definitely. I mean, he's he's more in my mind. He's more reminiscent of a Kajani than a Mertesacker in yeah. terms of his style of play. But I don't necessarily think that. That means he can't play alongside Koscielny. We've seen mm. it happen before. Mm. Um, cool, shall we have another question? Yeah. So this comes from West Stan Tone, and he says, 
Czech has now conceded three goals from five shots on target. Is he more than the sack of spuds he went down like on Sunday? <laughs> uh, I hope so. <laughs> It's, yeah, been a, it's, been a, it's been a fairly unconvincing start so far, hasn't it? Um, oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, this is the kind of record that Wojciech Szczesny took a lot of stick for last season, wasn't it, in terms yeah. of conceding uh, from almost every shot on target. Yeah, yeah, it certainly was. So you wonder then, if a goalkeeper like Czech comes in and is suffering the same kind of record, uh, maybe it had more to do with the defensive side of things than the goalkeeping side of things. That if you're letting players shoot from positions uh, which bring about goals, then it's more to do with with your defence than your goalkeeper. Um, yeah. Clearly he had some issues I, in the first game yeah. with his own performance. Um, and yesterday I thought he was a little bit a little bit exposed by Koscielny's mistake. I put more of that down to Koscielny than the goalkeeper, but, it you know, there's just a part of me that looked at it and went, he was kind of a bit slow to get down there. Mm. Kind of a bit slow. Um, he was. And I wonder, you know, he's been so used to playing behind rock-solid defences for years that this might take him a little bit of time to get used to. But I also think that David Ospina's record last season where people said, well, look, he's come into the team and he only concedes a goal every 4.2 shots, whereas with Chesney it was 1.6 shots. I think mm. a big part of that as well was down to the defence and defensive stability, that course, he enjoyed yeah. that much more than Chesney did in that opening period of the season. So I think we'll see improved goalkeeping stats when our defensive uh, situation improves. I think two of the goals, and probably two and a half of the goals, you could put down to bad defending, defensive errors that you can look at quite clearly and say, if we hadn't done this, then we wouldn't have conceded that goal. If we hadn't kept such a high line against West Ham, if Oxley chamberlain hadn't turned over the ball, if Koscielny had just sort of uh, put himself in front of that shot, put a leg out even, and not allowed the shot, then chances are we wouldn't have conceded. So I think it's way too early to judge yet on check, but... We go back to last week and hope that he's one of those, one of those albums that takes a few listens. It hasn't. He hasn't yet had the, <laughs> hasn't yet had the impact that people said that he would. That all of a sudden Czech comes in and you've got this um, supremely assured defence and 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 uh, and goalkeeper. That hasn't happened yet. No, but I mean, I suppose here's a way here's a way of looking at it. I guess if um, if we talk about Mertzak and Koscielny and the importance of that partnership. Perhaps it it will take time for that understanding to develop between Jack Mertesacker and Koscielny. You know, mm-hmm. maybe there's there's work to be done there. I mean, I do think it's it's interesting. I can't, you know, we we might mock John Terry and we might hate him even, but I can't imagine that there were too many times at Chelsea when someone took a shot and you know John Terry and Gary Cahill turned away from the ball. It's not it doesn't really seem fitting with their style of play. No, Cahill uh, normally handballs it, doesn't he? Just exactly. sort of throws something exactly. in the way, sticks his arms up. And to be fair, it's quite easy to play in goal when there's another goalkeeper operating <laughs> in front of you. Um, but uh, yeah, I, it did make me wonder yesterday. You know, I sort of had this this mad thought of, I wonder how good Wojciech Szczesny might have looked at Chelsea. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but like, uh, I, I think Czech is obviously a great goalkeeper. His record speaks for itself, but it's not been a convincing start. I think it'd be it'd be folly to to claim that it has. Um, but you've just got to hope that those relationships improve and that the defending improves as a unit, including the goalkeeper. Mm. All right, here's one from Michael at Euler56. Mm. And he says, on match of the day two last night, Rude Hullet stated, Arsenal can't control a game. Would you mm. agree? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Because there, there have been occasions, I suppose my answer would sort of be that he may have a point simply because... There are times when I remember us doing it, but I remember them so specifically and so distinctly. I'm thinking of the game at home to Napoli in the Champions League a couple of years ago. Do you remember this? Where Was it Napoli where Meza Ozil scored on yeah. what may have been his home debut? Yes. And um, we went 2-0 up quite early on and then just completely bossed it. 
completely controlled the tempo, the rhythm of the match. The opposition really never had a sniff. Well, I, did, um, did, was that not Arteta and Flamini in the centre yeah, of midfield? Yeah, it actually? was. Arteta paired with Flamini, and it was an incredibly dominant, measured display, almost dare I say it, a Mourinho-esque, a more attractive version, you know, very, very measured, very collected, very calm. Um, and I, I, the fact that I remember that so distinctly suggests that it hasn't been happening too regularly since. I think there were times last season where there's a difference, isn't there? Sometimes I think we're not necessarily able to control a game, but we still we are able to defend a lead. There have been times in the past couple of years where with Mertesack and Koscielny on form, we've been able to have a one-goal advantage and been prepared to sit back and defend that and do so relatively successfully. But that's a very different thing from just keeping the ball and just strangling a match. Uh, I'm not sure how often we do that, but mm. it might, might be a memory issue, to be honest. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't say off the top of my head. We certainly didn't do that yesterday. We certainly didn't... You know, we we saw it through, but I wouldn't say we made it necessarily hugely comfortable on ourselves. Yeah, I mean, the issue is that if you if you look at games where you've scored three goals or four goals, it feels like you've controlled it. But mm-hmm. I suppose what he's talking about is having a one goal lead and having more of the possession, making it difficult for the uh, for the opponent to attack. Uh, to to gain any momentum, that kind of a thing, you know? Um, Yeah. So, I mean, I think there have been plenty of games where we've been in control, where we've won well. You can think back to some of the big wins last season, 4-1 over Liverpool. Um, But even that was a game where Liverpool should have been ahead before we scored. Uh, You know, the FA Cup final, for example, we control that game completely from start to finish, you know? So it's within our capability, but it's... I th- there's a tendency to just simply forget about the mechanics of the game and the fact that when it's into the last 10 minutes and you're away from home and you're leading in a London derby, that there is going to be some fight from the opposition, that they are going to make it difficult. They are going to create a bit of an onslaught and your natural tendency is to, to, to regroup and try and withstand that. You know, you could be accused of overplaying if you try to to control the game. And it would be great to be in a position where we're 2-1 up away from home and we're passing the ball around and the opposition can't get anywhere near it. But I think there's also uh, a need to recognise that most of the teams in the Premier League now are very good footballers. Technically, the level is much higher than it was. And it's going to be more and more difficult to do that. You know, I don't see Manchester United doing it or, or even Chelsea to a certain extent last season. There were plenty of games where they just sort of hung on. Not hung on so much, but, you know, they, they do have this ability to, to just kill a game um, by, by being so solid defensively that they just withstand everything that's, that's thrown their way. So I don't know that we necessarily need to control games uh, the way that he's suggesting. You know, it would be nice, but... It, as you said, there's a habit there of grinding out one nils or one goal leads. And we've done that pretty well over the last couple of years. So I think that's a more important uh, ability than to be able to, to just swan around and, and keep the ball. How do you, uh, someone asked a question about this and you'll have to forgive me because I, I overlooked it and now can't find it. But how do you feel about the, the bringing on of someone like Kieran Gibbs for Meza Ozil, uh, you know, a, a fullback for an attacking player? Do you think that, helps or hinders in a situation like that. I was a little worried about it yesterday because uh, Ozil had been so good on the ball mm. and gives us that control in possession that that perhaps Hullard is talking about. Mm. Uh, and Arsene Wenger spoken about that before with, with, with him, that he, he allows you to maintain possession in tight areas to keep the ball up the other end of the pitch, which obviously is the best way of, of ensuring you don't concede. So I was a little bit worried about that. But maybe there was a physical reason Maybe he just wanted to add some pace down the left-hand side. Uh, you know, I don't really know. But sometimes there's a danger, isn't there, of when you make defensive substitutions, you invite the momentum onto you. You invite the pressure, and it's up to you to withstand it. I think there have been some uh, occasions in the past where we've made defensive changes and then conceded, and people go, well, you know, you hand the initiative to the opposition. So it's a difficult balance, but I understand why he does it. 
Um, a lot of managers do it. They'll throw on all the fullbacks, as we used to say, or we'd chuck on Vermaelen, we'd chuck on uh, a centre-half late on uh, to, to withstand some of the onslaught. But yeah, I think you, you, you run the risk of, uh, of conceding too much up the other end. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I yeah I think we've really improved in terms of our sort of I suppose what you could call reactive defending you know our sort of backs to the walls mm. uh, you know conceding the momentum and and uh, holding what we have but I, I do wonder if there might be a, a more proactive way to to maintain a lead if we can find a way to mm. use our our football you know to, yeah. to control the game rather than just uh, fighting off fighting off uh, attacks in the last ditch way but. Mm. You know, we'll take what we can get. Absolutely. And there was a time where the kind of defending we're able to produce now was a long way away, you know, so... Yeah, yeah. It's definitely progress. Very true. Okay, here's one from Jonathan Rowe at John Drea. Okay. Uh, he wants to know, I loved Alexis's flying header for the goal. What's your favourite flying header for the Arsenal? Oh. Do you know what? Flying header. Do you know the one that springs to mind? It might be an unpopular choice. My first thought was Ashley Cole. Um, oh, was didn't he score it in Champions League? A diving header in yeah. the last minute in the Champions League, I think to qualify from the group stage, I think it was. Um, I can't remember who that was against. I it was against say. a Russian side, I think it was yeah, against Dynamo I was say, Kiev. Or... I was going to say Kiev, yeah. Uh, I was actually there at that end at Highbury that night and it was just incredibly, you know, perfectly timed goal and a, a really superb header. I mean, shame about everything that followed with Cole, but mm. that was the one that immediately sprung to mind. Have you got any in your head? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> the only one I can think of is Abu Dhabi at uh, Old Trafford. It was a great own goal. Yeah, that was a real classic. Yeah, flying headers, they tend to be few and far between, don't they? The actual, yeah, where the guy's leaping or diving... Like, I think one of my favourite headers was Platts against Manchester United, that one mm. that won the game 3-2. Like, mm. I, I don't know what shape... Oh, yeah, your, great header. Yeah. Your your head must have to be a peculiar shape to be able to make the ball do that. Like a 50 cent piece. Like. <laughs> it's cued but, off it into the corner. Yeah, but flying headers... Um, yeah, I can't really... I can't. So really that was think. Ashley Cole. That was, that was against, um, yeah, Kiev in 2003. And it, it kept us in with a chance of uh, qualifying. Basically, we're on the way out. And then he got a, a stoppage time header. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm trying to think if there have been any more. I mean, that Alexis header last year was pretty good. The one that we were talking about earlier, where he just leapt like a salmon-esque, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and I mean salmon the fish, not Connor Salmon. No, no. Island striker. Um, headers. The thing is, there was such a long time where we didn't score headers. That's right. And I think Thierry Henry wasn't really a one for a flying header, was he? Not the flying ones. Not the flying ones. Um, yeah. That's a really good question. I have a vague memory of, again, an unpopular man. I think an Emmanuel Adebayor one against Newcastle, where there was a cross kind of drilled in from the right-hand side, and he sort of... Uh, dive would be an exaggeration, but he sort of fell onto it in a very satisfying way. <laughs> uh yeah, I think that's that's all I've got, really. I think, you know, it's something we should invest more in. We should spend more time coaching it. Imagine the injuries we'd acquire. Yeah. That. <laughs> Smashed up a, heads all over the place. I had a great time when I was in Mallorca recently. We had a big swimming pool there, a few mates of mine. We were on a stag do. And we just set it up so that someone was out wide crossing the ball into an area above the pool. And then you would just have to run and dive and meet the ball with a diving header. Great game. Really great game, but you're not you're not you're not allowed to run at the swimming pool. Well, and no bombing. You, the security guard was not happy about either the running or the ball, so it's a short-lived <laughs> but very fun. All right, have you got one more? Uh, yeah, let's have one more. Okay, this is a good one. This is from Paul Walker Emig, uh, and he's at Content Bot, which isn't a great name, is it? No, but there you go. He goes. A week in Ramirez's torture dungeon, or a year with the voice and intelligence of Harry Kane? Well, okay. Okay. Uh, torture dungeon. Really? Yeah. You, you must explain. Well, number one, I don't think he has one. Uh, 
Number two... I think, I think the world is Ramirez's torture dungeon. Absolutely. His torture dungeon is a football pitch. Yeah. So if, if you were, all you'd have to do is sidestep him when he came in two-footed to try and rake his studs down your shin. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, no, I just couldn't... Just Even if he did have one, and he was doing, like, torture torture, that would be far better than them being Harry Kane for but a if year. You had, if you had the intelligence of Harry Kane... You wouldn't know that you were... Exactly. You, right. would, have, you would lack the self-awareness. It would be, you know, it would be like being in a coma. Yeah, but after a year, you come out of it, and then there'll be a documentation of everything that you did in that year because you'd be on Twitter and Facebook and like, blogs and, face, and po- podcasts and everything, and, and you go, what? I didn't say that. And certainly like not cow. in that voice. Yeah, it'd be like the cow thing all over again. You've got to think about what the public will say. Yeah, um, <laughs> for sure. Not difficult. quite like the cow thing. Yeah, I suppose I'm just trying to bring the cow thing up at every opportunity, you know what I'm like. But I think, um, yeah, I I, uh, I don't know, though, a week in a torture dungeon with Ramirez, I don't think I'd survive it. But what could he do to you? Like, Mar- Ramirez doesn't strike me as the, the sharpest tool in the box either. But what if he's got a box full of sharp tools? When you go... Over there, a biscuit. And he'd go, what? And he'd That's just true. be going around for hours looking for the biscuit. And you could then get your chair, because you'd be tied to a chair, so you'd have to sort of go and, and move it across. And then you could, like, MacGyver your way out of there with your super skills. And then when R- Ramirez discovered or realised that there was no biscuit at all, you could clunk him over the head with a heavy object, tie him to the chair, and... Something, something Cockburn? Cockburn. I think that's Ramirez's principal torture method. Mm. I <laughs> Let's just put Harry Kane in the torture dungeon for a year. That would work. That All would right, work. Problem solved. All right. Well, look, we're going to leave it there for this week. We will be back next Tuesday, not Monday. Oh, yeah. Tuesday, yeah, yeah. because we Starting. are playing uh, the Monk Smashers on Monday. So mm. there's no point having an Arscast extra before the game. I'm very excited. Tuesday special edition. Tuesday special edition. So we'll be there. I look ahead to the Mug Smashers game on Friday's Arscast with probably the Mug Smasher and uh, some other people, maybe. Who knows? Uh, It's all very fluid at this moment in time. But uh, we'll chat to you next Tuesday. And um, if you're in in Edinburgh, what what should people do? Oh, if you're in Edinburgh, um, just, well, come and see Beasts, but don't expect it to be about Arsenal. And also, just sort of like hang around in beer gardens. That's mm. what everyone else is doing. I mean, yep. comedy's fine, but ultimately, it's print. You know, everyone's really here just to sort of hang out, and yeah. have a drink. All right, sounds like a sounds like a good time. It is. It's a great time. Thanks for the invite. <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen, I'm very busy. I'm very busy. No, 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 no. Next year, next year. Next year. Come. All right, all right then. Talk to you on next week's Irish Cast Extra. Bye, bye. Thank you.